Welcome to IABTI Blast, the podcast for bomb technicians and investigators. Hello and welcome to the latest IABTI podcast. I'm David O'Sullivan and today we're going to learn all about the EOD Warrior Foundation. And to tell us about it, I'm joined by their executive director, Nicole Notzek, and chairman of the board of directors, Greg Mittelman. Nicole and Greg, you're very welcome to IBTI Blast. Thank you very much. We're very happy to be here with you. Thank you for having us. So what can you tell us? What is the EOD Warrior Foundation? The EOD Warrior Foundation is a not-for-profit organization uh, that was created to support the overall EOD family. Uh, the EOD family uh, we believe is for life, and we provide support to the active duty EOD technician, the retired EOD technician, the veteran, their families. And we do this by providing various types of support from uh, financial assistance to um, scholarships to taking care of the memorial itself. We do this because we believe the EOD family is for life, and we're all composed of either EODs, veterans ourselves, or EOD families ourselves, or in some other means, somebody who's related to the community. What can you tell us about the foundation's origins? How did it come about? Well, it came about, uh, I want to say it's in 1969. The original EOD school used to be located at Indian Naval uh, Ordnance Station, just south of Washington, D.C. And the leadership of the each of the services, Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines, uh, got together and determined there was a, uh, a need for a memorial at the schoolhouse. They got together, had some fundraising events, built the memorial, and the memorial itself stayed at the schoolhouse until the school transitioned down to Eglin Air Force Base. But what happened after the initial building was that the initial funds left over went into the creation of a scholarship fund, and that became a sustained operation. And the organization changed over time from the initial leadership of each of the services to ultimately a not-for-profit organization that was became the EOD Memorial Foundation that was focused on taking care of the memorial and scholarships. And then in about uh, 2007, I think it was, uh, another gentleman, an EOD technician, was asked to look in on some of the wounded that had come back from Iraq. And with his initial visits that he made, Ken Falk, they founded another organization called the Wounded EOD Warrior Foundation. And they took they focused on taking care of uh, wounded EOD techs coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq and, and getting their families to them and helping their, their journey on healing, towards healing. We found that in 2013 that the two organizations, although uh, mutually supportive, were detracting from each other's efforts to raise funds to support the community in their various endeavors. So we had a merger, and uh, since 2013, we became the EOD Warrior Foundation and uh, created uh, four pillars that are uh, indicative of what the two initial organizations were doing to support each of them. But now we are the EOD Warrior Foundation and uh, uh, all-encompassing one-stop shop, if you will, to support the families. Okay. Uh, coming, coming from a, a completely uh, law enforcement background, this may sound like a silly question, but why do ex-service personnel need this sort of support from charitable organizations? Surely the government provides the care and support that they need. Um, the government does absolutely provide a great deal of the support that they need. But what we learned is that there are a lot of gaps. So, for example, getting the families to the hospital is something that the government will do, but only certain family members. And when families were living at the hospital for years, 
you know, they needed the spouses or the parents, whoever the primary caregiver were, needed relief. They had children that needed to come back and go back to school. And so there are always gaps in that support. And so our job really is to fill those gaps that the Department of Defense and the Department of Veterans Affairs do not provide for the families, so that we're adding a level of support and supplementing to make sure that their needs are taken care of. Okay, and so how does EOD Warrior differ from other military foundations? The biggest way that we differ is bylaws and everything that we are founded on is support for the EOD technician and the EOD family. So we do not support military service personnel outside of the EOD community. So and that, that line really is drawn um, with graduation from the EOD schoolhouse at Eglin Air Force Base. Okay, and that sort of brings me neatly into the next question. Why do we need a foundation specifically for EOD personnel when catastrophic injury can affect any member of the military? Absolutely. So, you know, there are a lot of other organizations that we come alongside to offer additional support, but what we have found is that much like any unique community, EOD warriors and their families, their challenges are unique. And so we believe that we are an organization that can come alongside them, understanding those challenges, understanding the challenges that they face um, when they go down range and their injuries oftentimes are more catastrophic and unique based on because of the type of work that they're doing. So we believe that we need to be alongside them to, because we understand what EOD warriors face, the challenges they face, and the commonalities that run through this community and we're able to offer support and be a you know be nimble in changing what that support is. We're proactive. We try to be proactive in supporting the needs of the community as a whole. And so when we see trends, like for example, we don't have warriors that are coming back injured on a weekly basis with catastrophic injuries on a weekly basis to hospitals like you know Bethesda Naval right now. So there are other things that our warriors are challenges that they're facing. You know, COVID has added a unique challenge for many in our community as well. And so it's nice to be able to really support those warriors and their families and understand a little bit more in depth what our community needs. Okay, well, I mean, you'd be aware that IABTI is an international organization and uh, approximately one-sixth of our members uh, live outside the U.S. Do you support um, any international members of the EOD family, for example, colleagues in NATO countries, or do you restrict your services and assistance to U.S. only? At this time, um, because of our bylaws and the way they were designed, we're, we're only able to provide support for uh, those uh, who have graduated from U.S. NAP School EOD. And then we do provide some levels of support to our public safety bomb techs within this country. But on an international basis, no, we are not able to right now because of the nature of the organization that we are. However, that being said, we do have relationships with, say, for example, the Felix Fund in the U.K., uh, which is an organization somewhat similar to ours that is designed for EOD within, uh, uh, within the U.K. Um, and we're always trying to seek out other organizations. So although we may not be able, be able to support directly, we are establishing relationships with other uh, international organizations as we find them. just so happens that uh, the Felix Fund and and the UD Warrior Foundation at this time is, is an established relationship. Okay, that's interesting. You, you mentioned that your uh, support of families um, is, is important as, in addition to supporting the injured member of the service. Would you say that it's a 50-50 split or do the, um, the families take up more of your time? That's a, that's a good question. I think that what we really focus on is 
supporting the family as a whole, and we don't really distinguish between, um, for example, you know, if there's a service member who's in the hospital, then we deal much more readily with his spouse, perhaps, or his mother, or whoever the primary caregiver is, just because they have the ability to communicate and articulate the needs of both the warrior and the family. So sometimes when we look at it, we look at supporting the family as a whole. Sometimes that is, uh, you know, we have a service member who unfortunately has committed suicide and we need to get the family to them. Or if we have a warrior who needs an adaptation on his vehicle, uh, you know, so it's not, I don't know that we've looked specifically to calculate the numbers because we look at the whole family unit. Unless it's a single service member, we're going to look at supporting the whole family unit. Because if the service member's family is taken care of, sometimes they're, you know, we'll have a service member who their child is struggling, right? And so if we help to get the child the care they need or whatever the situation is, then we are, in fact, still supporting the service member because that service member can rest easier knowing that their child is taken care of and then can focus on going to work and, you know, staying mission ready. Yeah, if I can just add one thing quickly into that, that and to sort of hammer home that last point that Nicole made, by providing support for a family member quite often takes, you know, an immeasurable amount of relief or stress off of the EOD technician themselves, knowing that their family is taken care of. Whether it's a mental relief or a financial relief, uh, our scholarship program has grown significantly over the early years, and that can be a tremendous financial relief for a family with a child that has earned a scholarship. So the lines cross a little bit. So even if we say we're supporting a family more, you know, that has a dramatic effect on the EOD technician themselves and vice versa. So uh, I, I think the lines are really rather intermingled, sort of a spider's web of support, if you will. For sure. Yeah, our scholarships actually are not open um, to service members. It's only for their families, their children, grandchildren, and spouses. And um, however, on the flip side, when we offer Hope and Wellness retreats, we offer a whole variety of uh, or plethora of retreats that cover the entire gamut. So we have retreats that are just for the warrior themselves. We have retreats that are just for the caregiver. And then we have retreats that are for couples, and we have retreats that are for whole families. And we really love to see our families, our warriors, move through that process to go and and get relief and learn some tools from a warrior retreat and then to bring their spouse back and say, you know, I learned from this and this was beneficial to me and bring their spouse back or their family back to get everybody on the same page and working together. Obviously your, your, uh, your warriors are going to come back um, from war zones with pretty traumatic injuries. Where do you start with a a family of uh, a traumatized serviceman, a, a serviceman who has, who comes back with such, significant injuries that the family is totally unprepared um, for dealing with such a case. Where, where would you start in dealing with those families? This may be a great place for us to segue over to Sherry, because that's sort of, she can talk about what they do and then also how the podcast came about. Sure. Yep. Good morning. <clears throat> Sherry, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Good, good. You've been thrown to the lions here. I have. <laughs> So my, my question was, how, how, where do you start with a, a family of uh, a traumatized serviceman, a, a serviceman who has who comes back with such significant injuries that the family is totally unprepared um, for um, dealing with such a case? Where, where would you start in dealing with those families? Sure. So once, once we're actually notified of a service member returning stateside for care, 
we actually implement an initial grant uh, to assist with the family financially. And then from that point forward, we stay in contact with them throughout their recovery. And if additional needs come forward, whether it be financial or if they need some, you know, a little bit of respite care, we have a hope and wellness program that does wellness retreats. So we kind of embrace the family at that point and continue to follow them through until they get back to a point of being, you know, at their home state or wherever they retire to or uh, return to service at. Um, And then, you know, we stay in contact with them. So really it's a continual level of support that we provide. So there there is no cutoff point for the family. um, Their welfare needs and and, um, so on go on forever effectively. Uh, Yes, sir, that is correct. And, you know, uh, many years ago we were seeing, you know, such life-changing injuries such as amputations and blindness and different horrific physical injuries. And today we're seeing more of the invisible injuries and how that is affecting not only the service member but their family. So we are very, we, we try to stay very in tune with our families in addition to adjusting and shifting when we need to, to show whatever level of support that may be. And do you provide support to the family independent of the the injured serviceman, for example, in, in, in relation to trauma or domestic violence or something else that might come out of your initial response? Do you accept referrals from family members when you might not have dealt with previously? Yes, we would. So, for instance, I can give you an example. If if a service member, um, you know, if we help the immediate family and then maybe a year and a half later, uh, there was a need, for instance, if if the family needed to go on a retreat or go to a different location for a surgery but needed assistance with childcare or a family member coming in to secure daycare, if you will, for their children, we would certainly assist the family member or um, a loved one that they approved of to come in and assist with that so that it's just a it's a different level of support. It's still for the EOD family because I think there's many many branches within an EOD family, if you will. It's not just made up of the warrior and spouse. And the request for support can come from anywhere. So Mm -hmm. a friend can know that there's a warrior or a family that's struggling and reach out to us and connect us with the family. It doesn't have to come through a military chain of command. It doesn't have to be an in-theater injury. Anyone that connects us to someone in need in the EOD family, we immediately reach out and begin our process to connect with that family and offer support. Um, Again, I'm assuming that that if... uh it's a friend, a family member, a neighbor, that you would um, leave their names out of it if they needed assistance on behalf of a third party. Yes, yes, of course. Okay, if one of our members, uh, obviously we, we, we're we primarily um, a law enforcement organization, but we also have military and, and uh, fire and so on. If one of our members finds themselves in need of such support, how would they go about contacting you? Well, the first thing that they could do is actually reach out to us here at the office by phone. And then the next thing is that we have an application process on our website, and really that starts the conversation. If they fill out a grant application, it gets submitted, and it gets sent directly to our EOD family caseworker. He then makes contact with whomever the application is for and works the request from that angle. And we'll get additional details, uh, what level of support is needed, and from that point, the request actually goes to our grant committee board for a vote. And uh, collectively, we decide how we can move forward in support of the family. 
Well, that, that's all been a, a fascinating insight into your work. Um, certainly a worth, very worthwhile project. Before we finish, is there anything else you want to say to our listeners? Yeah, let me add one thing to that as well. Um, and that is that we have generous supporters of varying types, whether it's corporate, private individuals, people that put on events for us and, and really are the backbone of, of the fundraising effort that, that supports everything that we do. To sort of needle down into that a little bit more, we have had individuals over the past who are public safety bomb techs uh, who have done fundraising events for us. And we've established relationships with other organizations that are non-military but EOD-related. And when there has been instances of uh, non-military public safety bomb techs who have needed assistance, we have provided uh, assistance to you know to varying levels of degree. Granted, it's it's not anywhere near to the level that we have had with our EOD family, uh, but we have had some requests and we have reached out and helped in times of trouble, whether it was, uh, you know, some public safety bomb techs who had issues from from flooding or tornadoes or or what have you. Uh, so those are relationships that are that are important to us, and we will continue to foster the relationships that we have on, on the public safety bomb tech side. And, you know, hopefully the, you know, the fundraising effort from that, that part of the community, uh, the non-military part of the community, will continue to grow. And that that's something we can continue to support, maybe in a bigger way as the need arises. But uh, I don't want to say we don't support public safety bomb techs because that's not true. We will as best as we can. But it also has to do with uh, with fundraising as well. But I think that relationship is growing, and, and we're happy to see it. Yeah, that we are. We have for sure worked hard. Um, and IBTI, you guys have been so great to us over the years. Just in growing that relationship, we are now working on a joint fundraiser that will happen in February of 2021 between the IABCI, the EOD Warrior Foundation, and the USBTA. So it's the first of its kind, and we are super excited for that opportunity and thankful for it. And I think that those kind of partnerships uh, just continue to open the door for so much bigger, so much greater awareness raising. Um, And, you know, we'll split the funds three ways, but it makes a much greater statement even to the general community for us to all come together and say, look at this amazing community that we serve and look at why it's so important that the community comes out to support us, you know, between the three organizations and civilian bomb techs and military bomb techs just to continue to spread the word. Because that's our, honestly, that's one of our greatest challenges. It's just people don't generally know what EOD is or why they should support it like they do so many other organizations. So we're super excited for the opportunity to continue growing our relationship and partnering with you guys and um, raising awareness. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for all of your time today. And I hope that we can look forward to continuing um, working together into the future. May I just inject something about our our podcast? Of course. Okay. Thank you so much. So um, earlier this year, of course, everybody was struck with uh, COVID, and we were finding new ways to connect with our families and EOD family and military at large and came up with the idea of a podcast, much like a lot of people, um, using a virtual platform to still connect with our community. So in August, we actually launched a podcast called Behind the Warrior, and it is hosted by myself and my coworker, Mike Mack. But basically, it's just a, you know a platform to establish resources, connections, in addition to having conversations with subject matter experts about some of the things that trouble our families, um, whether it's PTSD, traumatic brain injury, 
programmatic offerings that, that actually assist our families. Uh, we just did an interview yesterday um, with someone that's going to talk about Veterans Day. So we're, we're very excited, and we're 11 episodes in, and it gets launched every Wednesday. And tomorrow um, you can tune in via our uh, Facebook page, Spotify, Pandora. Uh, we're all over the virtual platform. So um, we're super excited to connect with the community in this way. Okay. Well, you heard it here, listeners. Check it. Check out the uh, the series of 11 podcasts. Uh, thank you all for your help today. And um, I look forward to working you all with you all in the future. Thank you so thank much. You so Absolutely much. a pleasure. Thank you. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the IABTI Blast podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of IABTI. The IABTI is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of the information contained in the podcast series.